Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Out of the gates and ready to go. Monday edition. Recapping championship weekend and getting you set for Super Bowl 57. Welcome in. Big show plan. Dan Dockett joins us in 20 minutes. Host of Don't At Me Across the Outkick Network. We'll jump into the biggest headlines of the day in just a moment. And we also have the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Jim Nagy will be on as teams get their first-hand look starting tomorrow with practices down in Mobile leading up to the NFL draft. We'll talk Stetson Bennett not being there and the other storylines coming up. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hudden. Excited for a big day. No doubt, and let's get to it. The six on 360. And it starts with the Super Bowl matchup for Super Bowl 57. Number one against number one. Traditionally, we see some upsets. You know, the lack of the number ones advancing past the divisional round. Not this year. Chiefs and Eagles, they'll vie for the Lombardi Trophy, and the storylines are plenty as we will head to Arizona and Glendale next week. Yeah, this is, uh, if you would have said this was the matchup midseason, I don't think anyone would have had a problem with it. The Eagles are clearly the best team in the NFL based on what they've yep. accomplished this year, based on the fact they lost one game with Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback, and now they get Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I will take that matchup. What have they outscored opponents? 68 to 14, something like that, in the two games that we've seen from Philadelphia as they knocked off the 49ers yesterday. And the storylines from Championship Weekend are very uh, different and same at the same time. Officiating was a problem in both. Controversial calls, the lack of discipline and poise in some of the instances on both defenses for San Francisco and Cincinnati. Quarterback play for the winning teams was exceptional. And the quarterback issues for San Francisco, they mar the headlines for what we saw from Philadelphia. Make no mistake, Philadelphia is excellent. But when you can't pass the football in the second half because your backup quarterback is out in concussion protocol and your starter in Brock Purdy uh, can't throw but from a, a few yards in front of him because of an injured elbow on his throwing arm, major issues arise. And we saw that where they were handcuffed offensively. I can't remember an easier route to the Super Bowl for a team than what the Eagles, what we just saw from them. Um, destroying what was a good Giants team, but how easily they handled them. Then they're facing a team without a quarterback. I, I don't I don't know that I've ever seen that. I mean, you're down to a third-string quarterback to begin with. First drive, he goes down. Then Josh Johnson goes down, the fourth-string quarterback, yeah. who was brought in midseason with a concussion. you got Christian McCaffrey out there. Changing out helmets, possibly going to be the emergency quarterback. Just a terrible situation for a, a conference championship game. It's a miserable game to watch. There's no sugarcoating it. I thought Greg Olson was terrific on the call. There's a story up at OutKick about how people positively reacted to the way he can explain different things like the RPO 
in a way that just everyday fans can understand. But that was a terrible, terrible game to watch. And you knew it was over the moment Brock Purdy went out. Yeah, and honestly... And that's no disrespect to the Eagles. They, They handled business... They did what they needed to do. If Purdy stays in, I still think the way Philadelphia was playing, they're winning that game. But it, no question, had a major impact on the outcome and the overall watchability of the NFC Championship game in the second half. Philadelphia is headed back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 2017. They're not going to be wearing underdog masks when they arrive, get off the plane in Arizona early next week. Uh, Much different story where Jalen Hurts has lost just one game as the starter all season, and they've won 16 of their last 19 games. Despite the easy route to the Super Bowl, this is no easy task that they're going up against in KC. And with the quarterback play of Patrick Mahomes, even on one leg, essentially. What a a performance. When when he got the ball back with, what, under three minutes to go, you're thinking, okay, they're going to drain the clock, go kick a field goal. They then punt back to Cincinnati on fourth down and what was it seven or eight they're from the Cincinnati 37 yard line game tied at 20 Burrow still picks up the first down on the third down throw they end up having to punt back however the punt return sets up Mahomes for the run you have Osai with the lack of poise and discipline on the sideline and Mahomes leads another game winning drive he's back in the Super Bowl for the third time So is Philadelphia, and here's Philly with the chance to go up against Mahomes, and for the first time, we're going to see Mahomes as the underdog, which is unusual. Here is, uh, from ESPN Stats and Info, that punt on 4th and 8 from the 37-yard line with 236 left in the game ranks in the 99.9th percentile of cowardly punts during the 2022 season. (laughs) Taking that a step further, it also ranks in the 99.9th percentile of cowardly punts since 1999. We are in an era where teams go for it more and more. This is one of the most cowardice punts since 1999 by Andy Reid, and what happened? It paid off for them because they got the stop. Analytics always don't tell the story, and they got the necessary stop, got the ball back. Patrick Mahomes once again works some magic on one leg, and then the unfortunate end of the game where Joseph Osai hits him late out of bounds. We'll be talking a lot about that. It was the right call. There were other calls in this game that absolutely were not the right call. That was not one of them. The correct call was made. Kansas City wins at home. All of these games, the 3-0 and that, that Burrow was against uh, the Chiefs, and now the Chiefs finally winning, all decided by three points exactly as Kansas City gets it done. McPherson sent Cincy to the Super Bowl last year. Now it's Butker on the 45-yarder. And let's tie in both games with the officiating, which is a storyline. The NFL always wins regardless of the controversy, but there's no way they're winning us over with any type of explanation other than, yeah, it wasn't good for either game. And we will also get to the emergency quarterback topic a bit later. But as far as the officiating goes... They're now going into a Super Bowl where the lead officials crew during the season threw more flags than any crew in the NFL. And he was graded as the best official and his crew in the NFL for these all-star crews that we're seeing. Chad, yesterday it was inconsistent. We saw a, a lack of communication many times and plenty of confusion on both sidelines. From the first game where Brett Kern's punt, where everyone's reacting to it hitting Entire a wire. Entire Eagle sideline. To the inability to 
go to the eye in the sky for the Devontae Smith incompletion that was setting up Philly's first touchdown that gave him a 7-0 lead, to then the second game, KC and Cincinnati, where inconsistency is putting it mildly. And I felt like since he got the raw end of many of those calls, they redid third down twice on defensive issues, a clock issue, official issue, and then an Eli Apple defensive pass interference call that bailed out Kansas City not once but twice in a series of two snaps. I thought that Chiefs game got off to a bad start when Andy Reid had a very weird challenge on a clear yeah. incompletion that was overturned. And I'm thinking, Andy Reid, of all people, you've got to see that that's an incomplete pass. It was very obvious upon review. And instead, he has a bad challenge. That was a bad start. The inability, I understand it's loud. The inability, though, to stop the play, and we saw this on both yeah. sides. One You're was right. the clock issue with the Chiefs where it wasn't loud on offense. The other was a noise issue with the Bengals facing a third down and they try to stop it because of a false start. Instead, Joe Burrow ends up rushing for the first down. Now, imagine if Joe Burrow gets injured on that play that didn't exist. It didn't happen, and he's out for the game because they couldn't properly stop the play. Imagine if only half the players hear a whistle on the clock issue and Patrick Mahomes gets clocked, and he's out for the rest of the game, and the Bengals go on to win the Super Bowl. This is a player safety issue. When the refs can't properly stop the game in time, it was horrific. Watching it in the time, it was confusing. They did a terrible job explaining exactly what was going on. The Chiefs punt team was on the field. At one point, had to come back off because they got a do-over on third and seven. It was an odd game. Um, everyone wants to lean into that final hit out of bounds as a problem. That wasn't the problem. It was these do-overs. To me, that was the big issue in that game, officiating-wise. The Osai shove just ended the game. Yeah. It didn't cost Cincinnati the game, per se, with the way that that game played out. But it did end the game with a Harrison Bucker 45-yard field goal immediately. Uh, Miami, the Dolphins, they have hired Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator. And Chad, with Fangio, keep this in mind, he had plenty of options. Plenty of options as the former Broncos head coach took a year off. He was the hottest name in terms of defensive coordinators available. He's choosing to go work with Mike McDaniel in Miami. That should speak volumes about their young head coach and what the veteran coach thinks of him. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great match when you have someone. Anytime you can have a, a first-year, second-year head coach and pair them with someone with head coaching experience, especially someone as adept at running one side of the football like Vic Fangio is on defense, it's a no-brainer. Great pickup for the Dolphins and Mike McDaniel. That's a very good roster. Um, we're going to talk Tom Brady at parts today, but that the big thing with the Dolphins right now is you can't put any true faith in them because you don't know the status of Tua Tungabailoa from week to week. That's a big issue for Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins. Until they solve that, I really don't know where they're going. But I like everything else about this staff yeah. and about that roster other than the quarterback position. And Armando Salguero with the note at outkick.com, the last eight years as a defensive coordinator with the 49ers and the Bears, Vic Fangio's defense finished four times in the top five, six times in the top ten. You can expect great defense in Miami because Fangio is going to be uh, manning the helm of the coordinator position. The Cowboys, they're parting ways with Kellen Moore, who immediately finds a job. He's the new offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Chargers. 
And the play caller in Dallas is going to end up being Mike McCarthy and heading up the offense that ultimately got him the job in Green Bay. Moore is out, and you knew he was out whenever McCarthy did not give the vote of confidence at the end-of-season press conference. That was a bad sign. This is also Mike McCarthy completely betting on himself in this year. I mean, this is a bold move for a guy who we thought before that Tampa game, if they were going to lose in the wild card round of the playoffs, he was probably going to be out of a job. Now he has a job. Not only that, he is giving himself more responsibility and putting more of the blame on his shoulders if this does not get fixed. It feels like Super Bowl or bust for Mike McCarthy, at least a conference championship game for him next year, and he's decided best chance at doing that is me calling plays. Bold move. We'll see how it plays out. It felt like it could have been that way this year with how things got got started in Dallas versus how they ended. And it also feels like he was told, you're making staff changes. Moore wasn't the only guy who's out on McCarthy's staff. This feels like make these changes, keep your job. You can prove it by being the OC as well in terms of calling plays on game day. Um, chances are this doesn't end well. It's I, Dallas. I mean, it's Prescott. It's McCarthy. It's Prescott. We get on it last week. It's Dak Prescott's time to lead this team past where they've been. And I don't have faith he's going to do that. So for that reason, others will lose their job, not just Kellen Moore, a year from now. Chad, you and I were in Dallas this weekend. Uh, We missed Stetson Bennett's party by about 24 hours. Uh, Arrested this weekend for public intoxication. And uh, we'll see him here walking out of the detention center where he stayed until he was released and you know he drove off to somewhere i'll say this it's very difficult to get arrested for public intoxication if you've never been to nashville walk down broadway it's difficult you have to be a douche to pull this off and to me this is exactly what happened i don't need to see the details of this you don't have to just run into the wrong police officer at the wrong time stetson bennett had to work at getting this uh, storyline over the weekend. So, I mean, maybe there's more to it than that, but I've seen and heard a lot worse in real time, Chad. So have you. We're headed to the Super Bowl next week. There will be plenty of instances where people will be in public and intoxicated. And the fact that Stetson Bennett is headed to the detention center this weekend in Dallas should tell you that things did not go as it should have, where you simply, maybe he's going to walk into an Uber. Who knows? But he's not like he was driving, he was pulled over. This is just being in public and being intoxicated yeah. and being out of your mind. So what I, my understanding with the story was he was in a neighborhood and he was knocking on doors at 6 a.m. trying to find where he was staying. And people called the cops on him. And when the cops showed up, he was so wasted. Well, that he got a public intoxication. Hey, knock on wood, we've never been arrested at a Super right. Bowl. Or uh, period. I'm continuing to knock. We were in Dallas on Friday night, certainly not arrested. Were we knocking we're not on doors? The news. Uh, we were not knocking on doors. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, it, it's a it's a public intoxication, you know, arrest. It's not the end of the world. But I think when you start to look at Stetson Bennett doing an interview on ABC, Wasted, after the first yeah. national championship... When you start to look into these other things, he essentially does not go to the Senior Bowl. We'll talk to the executive director later. Uh, It looks like he didn't go because he wanted to go to Dallas and party. Even if that's not the case, when you get arrested for public intoxication 
and you're ducking out of the Senior Bowl, that's not a good look. None of this is going to help Stetson Bennett. It, it, it's been one L after the other since well, all the wins in college well, but he was, as quarterback at Georgia. But also, to be fair to the story, he was praised for going on Good Morning America drunk. Yeah. He was well, living his best life. And now now it's uh, a very different story when you see him getting arrested. He was for publicly intoxicated then. And it, I would still maintain if you're Stetson Bennett and you're knocking on doors trying to go to bed, it's tough to end up at the detention center. Remember the You dude, have to work at that. Remember the, the the rich guy who in Fayetteville, Arkansas just walked into the wrong house? <laughs> yeah, but then the cops walked Yeah. And then the cops walked in. Tried to get him up, and he just tried to go back to sleep. Yeah, he's just like, I'm really tired, guys. Can we can we handle this? Can you business give me five later? hours? I'll wake yeah. up and go with you guys. Tough look for old Stetson. I still, I'm, I'm not going to bet against the guy. <laughs> I think he's going to come back stronger from this public intox rap. Probably going to get it pled down to something less, and he'll be just fine. He'll go on to win multiple Super Bowls as a quarterback in the NFL. I'm done betting against him, no matter what he does. Unless he's the emergency third string where he doesn't have a chance to play on game day. The 49ers could have used him. Even in the state he was on Sunday, after being arrested for public intoxication, they could have used him at quarterback. Thing is, and Dan Dockich is coming up, we'll dive more into this. Um, check the depth chart last night. San Fran didn't even have a practice squad quarterback available. They let Jack- Jacob Eason go on January 3rd, and we're expecting Jimmy G to come back at some point in the postseason to be the backup to Purdy and then Josh Johnson could go back to practice squad and run that role. So even if they allowed for a third emergency string uh, quarterback yesterday, the 49ers had two available arms, and they ended the game, ended the half, really, without any. Let me let me make a plea with the 49ers. Uh, they've got the wrong emergency QB. Juwan Jennings should be the emergency QB. We covered yeah. him in high school, and that guy has a cannon for an arm and is a six-foot-four former high school four-star prospect at quarterback who's just playing you know, a limited role at receiver for you right now, that's the guy you need to get a package in where he could actually throw it. He's not going to be that effective, but he would be more effective than the situation you had yesterday where Brock Purdy physically couldn't throw the ball past five yards. Coming up, Dan Dockett's from Don't At Me. You can join us. You can add us at Outkick360 on social throughout the show. Join Chad in the chat as well on YouTube. Dan Dockich is next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Dan Dockich. He brings it on Don't At Me. Mornings across the Outkick Network starting at 9 a.m. Eastern. And he joins us each Monday afternoon on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Dan, good to see you again, man. Hope things are well. I'm doing my John Fetterman imitation here today with the hooded sweatshirt, good. the bald head. The Yeah, it's not going well. But everything's good. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hey, man, you're better than San Francisco's quarterback situation. That was a mess, wasn't it? I mean, what what the heck? Uh, Purdy out? I, I had a couple NFL guys tell me they couldn't believe that he didn't just get shot up and go in there and play, and that's always easy to say from miles away. And then he eventually did come in and play, and he couldn't throw the ball. You know, that's too bad, right? Because I think, you know, you guys, me, a lot of us kind of 
spend your day Sunday getting everything done, and then you want to watch two great games. And I don't know. I I went and I actually scrubbed baseboards in my room (laughs) and bathroom and upstairs in my house in the second half because I felt bad. I told my wife, I got to do something here to get ready because I'm not moving for the night game. So I was scrubbing baseboards. That's stupid. What would you have done done if Cincinnati and KC was a blowout? You know, that was getting a little later. I might have tried to put some moves on my wife and seen what she wanted to do, you know. So I it, might have gone, oh, you know, I'm getting tired and put my arm around her or something. I don't know. That's a good question. Chad and I were discussing uh, earlier. I, it didn't feel like the Purdy injury lost the game for San Francisco. I still think Philadelphia wins. It makes the game far more watchable, and it Put San Francisco's defense in in the realm of winning the game on behalf of their sideline in that fourth quarter. That was not the case for a team that needed to play catch up and could only hand off. Yeah, and you know the, the last thing you just said can only hand off. I mean, players know, right? Players aren't stupid. They know the deal. They know. Okay, we can't throw the ball. Are you kidding me? How are you going to win a football game in the modern NFL or college or anywhere when you? When you can't throw the ball, and everybody gave a good effort, obviously, and everybody tried, and their culture is so good at San Francisco. But I think that all of us, and certainly the players, right, and once you see that this is just going to be a handoff, a handoff, you try to break something, maybe you try to get a fumble, players just know. And, again, there, it, I've always said this, it's, it's so hard to win. It's so hard to win. You know, at any level, I only coach college, but it's so hard to win in college. It's so hard to win in the NFL. Hell, it's hard to win in high school when things are equal, and then all of a sudden they're not equal, and you're swimming upstream. And uh, you know what? Once, good for Purdy. He went back in. You know, great year by the 49ers. Just unfortunate. So uh, public sentiments really turned on Tony Romo uh, and, and their opinion of him calling these games. A week ago, it sounded almost like he was on speed and talking too much, and people were complaining about that. And he was talking over Jim Nance the whole time. This week was another sort of weird reaction to his broadcasting. My question is, Dan, has he gotten worse, or have people just become annoyed with what he's always done when, when you watch a game with Tony Romo on the mic? I, I can speak for myself. I, I think he's gotten worse. A, a good friend of mine named Barry Sachs, who was one of the original original studio producers at ESPN, like he is the guy that set up people in the studio. He is the guy at ESPN that found talent and did. And he and I are still good friends. And he's like, hey, look, it's obvious Romo got paid. And like a lot of people do in athletics, he stopped doing what made him great. And he started becoming lazy. And I, I always like Romo because I like people that tell me they forecast, they say what's going to happen, or at least give you a good idea of something to watch. And I thought he used to do that. Uh, he doesn't do that anymore. It's almost like he's not studied anymore. It's almost like what my, my man Barry said is like, he got a contract and then like a lot of athletes, you know what? I'm not going to do the same things. That's how I look at it. I was always intrigued. And, and, and I, 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 I learned something like, all right, there's a too high safety and the corner is back off. They're going to run a slant or whatever it is. He doesn't do that anymore. He just kind of smart alecks it and reacts to Nance. And I'll be honest, I'm one of those people. Even my wife is like, just shut up. Like, just shut the living hell up, will you? I mean, and she didn't even know who it was. Uh, 
Uh, but so in my opinion, I thought I, I think that he has gotten lazy. I think he's gotten like a lot of people do. Human nature has caught up to him. And I don't think he's nearly as good as he was. Not even close. Not even near enjoyable at all. I, I, I agree with you. I think he's gotten worse. And then I look at what Greg Olson's doing early on. I'm thinking that's early Romo is what we're getting from Greg Olson. But his ability yesterday in a blowout to explain the RPO, for instance, and what the Eagles do with it and break it down so quickly right after a play, or especially his analysis of George Kittle and everything he does, having played the tight end position at a high level, I'm blown away by him. And now you have a lot of people coming out and saying, Dan, hey, I know Tom Brady's Tom Brady, but this guy should be a number one somewhere for a network whenever Tom Brady comes in and takes his spot. Yeah, it's a good problem for a network to have, right? I mean, it's a good problem that you have talented guys because, you know, let, let's be honest, th there really aren't uh, very many. And, uh, yeah, Greg Olson, look, here's what I want. And, again, I, I, I don't pretend to know everything about football, so I want somebody to tell me something about it. I want some, even if they're wrong. You know, one of the things when I was broadcasting ESPN, they're like, look, forecast, because if you're wrong, nobody remembers. But when you're right, everybody thinks you're a freaking genius. And I always like big noon kickoff. You know, I, a friend of mine runs, Lee Fitting, runs uh, college game day, and I tell him all the time, McAfee saved college game day. And one of the reasons he had to save it was because, frankly, you don't have a coach on there. You know, with all respect to Lee Corso, Lee's at a point of his life where he's not what – you know, he's not doing that. So I look over at Big Noon Kickoff, and I swear to God, Urban, Urban Meyer, even though he's my friend and I'm biased, I swear to God, his breakdown segments, I had no idea the importance of a fullback in the triple option. I had none, and I'd watch triple option my whole freaking life. Like, I had, no I had no idea about two hands on a guy and how you go about blocking a great play or four hands on a guy. I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm learning, so I'm fascinated. And I'll give Greg Olson credit. Like, that's what he does. Romo used to tell me, but I, look, I think uh, NFL announcing, I think I, maybe it's just me being bitter. I don't know. But I want somebody to tell me what the heck is going to happen or what the heck just happened in a way that I don't know. And I agree with you. I think Olsen did a pretty good job of that for the time I watched before I went and scrubbed baseboards in the uh, blowout. <laughs> well, Dan, something you know everything about is the game of basketball. Dan Dockich, host of Don't At Me on the Outkick Network, is our guest. I'm watching Kansas and Kentucky on Saturday night. I don't know how much of that game you watched but Kansas comes into that game riding a three-game losing streak. They've never lost four straight games. They had never lost three straight games under Bill Self. They've never lost four straight games since God knows when for Kansas basketball. I looked this up, Dan. The worst seed that Bill Self has ever been at Kansas is a four seed in his time there, the NCAA tournament. It's remarkable yeah. the consistent success he's had. I'm just curious about your thoughts of Bill Self, the coach, and Kansas, the program, under self and what they were able to do on Saturday night. I always said this about Bill Self and, and, and Roy Williams. I always think they make it look easy. Like the, the Indiana group, my group, Bobby Knight, we, we'd made everything difficult, whether it was having too big a miles, yelling too much. Bill Self has always make it, made it look easy, and Roy Williams the same. And I'm going to give you something here. Think about the University of Kansas job. Why is that such a great job? 
Like, how can you have this success? Where do you go recruit? You're not going to win with Kansas players. Kansas City used to have a really good AAU program, but the guy running it went to jail for crying out loud. So Roy Williams had to go out to California, different places. Bill Self goes everywhere. Think about that for just a second. Like, I remember, again, I'll use Urban Meyer. He was talking about the Notre Dame job or the Florida job this 100 years ago, and we were talking. He goes, Dan, I can be home for dinner every night, just go recruit two hours away, and I can have a team that wins a national championship. It's always fascinated me uh, what Bill Self and Roy Williams were able to do at Kansas. I know the history is great. I know that Naismith invented the game. But who, there ain't an 18 to 22-year-old that cares about that. Here's what Bill Self does. Bill Self puts an expectation on a player, and he doesn't waver from it. He did it in the Kentucky game. Uh, he put a kid in. I, I, is he EJ something? I can't remember his name. was going to give him a chance. Kid got blown by immediately for a layup. That kid came out. Players don't run his deal ever. Now, he's not a dictator, he's not insane, he's not Bobby Knight, he's not young, but they but they know that he runs the deal, and if you don't perform to a certain level, you're not playing. And I'm telling you, it is fascinating. They get good players, but I would argue, you know, David McCormick was kind of the star last year, but he's not in the NBA. They're not getting Kentucky Duke players. They're not nobody over the history of basketball has gotten the players that North Carolina's got. Bill Self, I really liked the guy. Um, I didn't like the stuff that he was involved in with the Southern District of New York, but personally, I really like Bill, and I think he just, honestly, God, he just makes the game look easy. Just He's going to win 80% of his games. They're going to get to the Elite Eight, Sweet 16, whatever. It's, it's too easy. Should be harder. Kansas <laughs> makes it look easy, and Tennessee made it look easy against Texas. Uh, what, what makes them so effective hey. defensively? Hey. I, I swear to God, it's a little bit the same as Kansas. They get in a stance. They stay in a stance. I'm talking about Tennessee now. And here's the other thing. When you can guard your guy, watch this next time you see Tennessee uh, play basketball. When you can guard your guy and you don't need help, holy cow, is that effective in modern basketball. Now, when there's a ball screen, the guy guarding the screener's got to jump out and he's got to hedge or do whatever you want to do. There's about 10 different ways to play it. But I'm just talking about guarding your man, keeping your man in front of you. Basically, college basketball offenses have become like the old zone offenses where everybody is trying to dribble a gap. I'm trying to get you to commit to help on me. And then I kick it to your man and we do it again. Tennessee, I think, I swear to God, I think they're the best in the country at guarding their own guy. Purdue does it really well, too, but Purdue's got that big monster, you know, ready to block shots and look at you and scare you, Edie. But it, when you, I swear to God, I'm watching Tennessee dismantle Texas. I know Texas made it look interesting. But when you can guard your own, and here's the other thing. If guys continually get past you on the perimeter, then defensive bigs have to come and help. What does that open up? It opens up the backboard. So now you're getting beat with offensive rebounds. I just saw it. I was sitting literally in the second row behind Chris Holtman, the Ohio State game. Indiana guys kept beating them. Help had to come, and Indiana's freshmen were just standing on the weak side tipping balls in. I'm telling you, man, 
Tennessee and Rick Barnes, nobody guards their man better than them. It sounds so simple, but it's almost impossible to do in college basketball as well as Tennessee does. And Rick Barnes has had trouble in March, but he's not had trouble developing players and getting them to buy in and play defense the way he wants. And he's great at personal development with guys working one-on-one. But, Dan, how hard is that as a coach, whether it be you coaching in Indiana or Bowling Green, to go out and get guys you believe are going to buy in and be good with the current team, and then you splice in that at a Tennessee, a Julian Phillips, uh, Kennedy Chandler a year ago, a guy who's probably going to be one and one, but when those guys get to Knoxville, there's no ego with them. And somehow it just always works and blends well together where they sell out and they buy into the team concept. How difficult is that at, at any level that you're coaching? You know, I, I got to tell you, it, it wasn't the easiest thing at Bowling Green. At Indiana, it was, it was a little easier, but there's no comparison. You know, I haven't been on a sideline since 2008. In 2008, in terms of college basketball, Chad is like the dinosaur ages because, well, we didn't have Twitter. You know, we, Facebook was just coming in. You know, you didn't have NIL. It's a totally different deal. And frankly, I always dealt with the high school. I dealt with AAU coach once in a while, but now you're dealing with so many guys. You know, hey, look, what do I mean by guys? Well, I'm a player. I got You got to talk to this guy. You got to talk to that guy. It's not just, hey, high school coach or even AAU coach. There's just guys in better places. So what you have to do if you're Rick Barnes is turn the tables in recruiting. You select them. It was always Coach Knight's strength. He selected who he wanted. It was not going to be this guy was averaging 30 in high school and he's automatically coming to Indiana. If he didn't fit, and I'll guarantee you this, I guarantee you Rick Barnes, when a kid comes on a visit, he spends a lot of time with the players, and then the players give input on whether or not this kid will fit in. But to your point, the one thing that makes it easier now, uh, Chad, is players freaking love being in the gym. I mean, guys live in the gym. Practice facilities are so freaking awesome. When I was playing or when I was coaching, we didn't want you in the, we wanted you in the gym, but we didn't want you hanging around. We wanted you on campus. We wanted you to be involved. Now it's like, hey, they built these Taj Mahals. Indiana's deal is just so whacking great. Uh, I would have never left. I would have been in there I don't, hey, look, unless the cheerleaders were practicing somewhere, I'd have stayed at Assembly Hall and Cook Hall. Uh, Guys love being in the gym, so hard work isn't an issue, but it is not easy, and you got to be incredibly selective. And the staff, his staff, has to be absolutely in tune, moving in the same direction as one with the kind of guy, not the player, the guy that they're going to bring in. And Rick, Rick's done a great job. Now, I'm going to say one last thing. People talk about March, and here's the problem with a defensive coach. Swear to God, I've seen this with Purdue. Matt Painter in the NCAA tournament two years ago against North Texas, and Rick has done this too. He'll take a guy out if he misses a switch or doesn't hedge a ball screen right. It doesn't matter. Well, you know what they do in the, in the Pac-12, which is why they have tournaments? They don't care about that. They're like, screw that. You missed a switch. You gave up a two. Go knock in a three. I'm telling you, defensive coaches in the tournament are interesting. They take guys out and punish them like it's in the regular season. I'm very critical of Matt Painter for doing that with his two best shooters a couple years ago. you got to let the guys fly uh, in the NCAA tournament. I've studied this. I'm totally convinced of that, and Rick needs to do the same. 
Dan Dockage with us. Dan, uh, we're about to see a run on head coaching hires, the ones that are, r- remain available. Do you still believe Jeff Saturday is going to be the permanent head coach in Indy? Man, I think it's looking more and more. I, I have I, My brain cannot wrap itself around this. But when I saw that Carly Ursay Gordon is involved, and uh, that told me, wait a second here, if she's sitting in meetings, she's the owner's daughter, Jimmy Ursay, and she's one of the owners, uh, that told me, wait a second, that's Jimmy Ursay sitting in those meetings. He said that he is going to let Ballard pick, and Ballard's conducting the interviews, but all of a sudden I see Carly's in there, and I'm like, uh-uh. That ain't Carly. That's Jim sitting in there. That's Jim influencing. And Jim Ursay, by everybody that I know, would just as soon have, just as soon have uh, Jeff Saturday as anybody else. So if I were going to handicap it, I'd make it plus money on. Uh, I'd make it minus money on Jeff Saturday and plus money on whoever else you want to talk about. I really would. And it's sickening to me that this guy is going to have that opportunity. Dan Dockich, you can. Don't add him. You can tune in. Just though. at me. You, yeah, well, you can tune in. At me. With Dan Do Dockage. whatever you want. Uh, you can at the show. Yeah. How watch about him. that? Just make sure yeah. to watch him. At the show. Even That's if you right. don't add him, watch him. Either way. Morning's right here across the Outkick yeah. Network. Dan, appreciate you always, man. Hey, guys. Th- hey, how about this? I'm going to a high school game tonight of a friend of mine's son. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit there and I'm not telling I'm going because he yells at the officials and I don't want to sit by him. How about that? I hate parents that yell at officials and a good friend of mine does so i'm sneaking in the gym and sitting in the top away from my own friend hey how about that dan i've seen high school parents that know they have a problem yelling at the official or getting too upset during the game that i've seen parents who will watch the game from the lobby they'll pace in the lobby and sort of watch through the the end zone of uh, an open door, a cracked door or window, <laughs> yeah. because they know they bother everyone when they're around them. Maybe you should suggest that to your buddy, and then you can sit in the bleachers and watch comfortably. I think I'm going to do that. But if I do that, then i got to tell them that I'm coming tonight, and I don't want them to know because I, I, I can't stand it. It's, I, it's embarrassing to even be sitting there while they're yelling at referees. And I had a son, he played, and I literally shut my mouth, and it wasn't hard. I just sat there and shut up. Shut up, parents. Just shut up. <laughs> How oh, hard man. is it for you to sneak into a gym in Indiana? Uh, yeah, I'm not bragging, but I can't really do yeah. it. I mean, I can do it for about 10 minutes, and then, you know, it becomes a little bit of a thing. Yeah. He's going to know you're bit. there. Not much. Not, not, like it, not like it used to be, and, but uh, it becomes a little bit of a thing. I like it when people bring me popcorn and a Diet Coke, though. You'll be That's sitting nice. next to him in the benefits. second half. That's the prediction. You'll be next to your friend in the second half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Later, I brother. I know. I know. See you guys. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Dan Dockich. Uh, love having him uh, on every Monday. And uh, Chad and I with him Monday mornings recapping uh, the weekend and the big headlines. We'll continue to do that throughout the show. Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, he will join us as the Senior Bowl practices get kicked off this week. We'll hit the big storylines there. That'll be in about 15 minutes. When we come back, Novak Djokovic, who was deported and banned from Australia a year ago, turns around a year later and wins the Australian Open. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
Jim Nagy will join us. That's coming up in 10 minutes. The executive director of the Senior Bowl. Looking forward to that conversation. We'll get back into the conference championship matchups across the NFL as well. Plenty to discuss in both of those games. Chad, Novak Djokovic, Australian champion after a year from being the deported from Australia, uh, former champion. What a comeback story. <laughs> uh, and a year after deported he... Deported to champion. You know, he's he's unvaxxed. He chose not to do that. They. It's not like he had... He was positive for COVID and they made him leave. It's because he wasn't vaccinated and they made him leave. A year later, the only way he's leaving is with the trophy. And, you know, it's it's interesting. The interview that took place last year where the guy asked him, is like, are you willing to just throw away everything if that means, you know, your, your legacy, if it means uh, you're not going to get vaccinated? And he said, yes. Does it mean you you won't win the French Open ever again? He's like, sure. Because he was set on his mindset and his personal decision. And you can see the jubilation a year later where he's the champ yet again. And the legacy is fully intact with how he's handled this compared to what we've seen over the last 12 to 24 months. I mean, I... <laughs> I know we're going to play some video and or have some audio we're going to play as well, so I want to react to that. But I think what Novak Djokovic was saying at the time, I don't know how many people are just truly ready to just give in their career to something that is so dumb, uh, which was that, you know, the mandates and everything else going on. I think Novak Djokovic deep down knew that the, the international stance on everything was going to change, was going to lighten. Deep down, he knew that, and that's what's happened. I mean, everyone's viewpoint on vaccination mandates and sports bans and everything else, it's totally different. I'll give you an example. We're going to the Super Bowl next week. A year ago, I mean, it it was just short of sending off actual blood samples to the league to be able to be on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Well, based on where we were going, remember they were considering earlier in the season last year moving the site to Because it was so rigid with all the, the vaccination mandates and everything else. You're right. But have, you know, having to have a vaccine card everywhere you went yeah, in California, we but even just the too. NFL, yeah. everything to do anything with the NFL, yep. you had to jump through all these hoops to be able to do it. Uh, I'm going to knock on wood on this again. This is how much I've heard about it. It's zero that I've heard about that for this Super mm-hmm. Bowl in Arizona. Well, all season. Point being, things changed. Times, times have changed. People have evolved. And we've got more information now. That information shows that people like Novak Djokovic seem to be a little bit more right than other you know, so-called health experts on it. Well, Chris Fowler also didn't want to dive into this with John McEnroe, who brought up the history, which is a part of the storyline as we watched Djokovic win his 10th Australian Open. Here was McEnroe's reaction, followed by Fowler, and it made for some, well, a back and forth that was cringeworthy in real time. He got defaulted in the Open. When he hit the, the uh, line, line by mistake, yeah. he gets deported out of Australia, doesn't get any points at Wimbledon, can't play the Open. Part of his choices, to be fair, he, he made choices that led to that, some of those things. I don't think he, I, I think he should have been permitted to play. Okay, well, that's a, that's a debate, yes. but he, he did make choices that led to that. That's forgot for the moment. 
Well, not just for the moment. I mean, and also, I keep going back to this. It's not like he had COVID and was told he couldn't participate. He just didn't have the vaccine. It's also, you know, he made choices. He made choices. Chris Fowler kept saying, no, the, the, the tennis institutions that he had been participating with for years and winning championships with, they made choices. They made the choice to change restrictions on everything, and that's what kept him out of it. He didn't change anything. He wasn't getting COVID vaccines 15 years ago when he was playing. He wasn't getting 15 months ago either. So they changed on that. It was their choices and his lack of willingness to give in to their choices that yeah. that changed it. I mean, I know what he's saying. You know, there's plenty of people who got vaccinated just so they could do things with their company or to go to events or whatever it may be. Everyone can relate so, to that. So, yes, Chris Fowler's right. He made choices, but he made choices not to bend to the choices made by these tournaments. That's That's what happened. In all of this, so just to get it straight, it wasn't just it wasn't like Stetson Bennett went out and made choices that led to him getting arrested for public intox in Dallas. No, there were decisions made by those outside of Novak Djokovic's camp that led him to make a make a choice that he wasn't going to bend in bend to those regulations, and because of that, he he could not participate. Chad, good for McEnroe, by the way, for yeah. Stepping well, up and saying it's, that. It's, it's a part of the storyline of why yesterday's win was important for him uh, in Australia. Chad, um, coming up, we're going to dive deeper into NFL officials. The reason why, or in this case, why not, uh, why the NFL doesn't have the emergency quarterback rule in place. And what feels like it went away five years ago, it was actually 12 years since we've seen the emergency quarterback piece to the NFL roster uh, enforced. And it was Jake Cutler in the playoffs where we actually saw it with Caleb Payne as the emergency quarterback of the Bears again in 2011. That we'll have a time. Could use it yesterday. Maybe one of these quarterbacks can participate in the Senior Bowl. But we'll start with Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, on the big storyline at the top of the draft that we see this week. That's next. That's the next. 